You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. I don't think this is going to be 45 minutes. Andre, I'm sitting across the table from you. Yeah, at the Hamilton studio. And I have this, this, I have this, it's not, I don't, it's not a, I think it's like a flu that's going around, like there's a, there's a cold going around. Okay, you could have given me the heads up before setting foot in my house. it's. I, I'm now on my fifth day, and I feel 99.9% better. It's just, it's now resting right here. Have you done the, throat. have you done, like, the same thing everyone else is doing when they get a little sniffle? Like, you have rapid tests at oh, home? Oh, yeah. And, you're, yeah, you're, so, like. Like, I, I woke up with a sore throat, and I'm like, oh, my God. COVID. Right? Yeah. And, and so I, I rapid tested, and I know what happened. I do these wine tours. Lady came on the bus with a cold, blah, blah, blah. Um, she you know, had I, a mask on. I helped her out of the bus. I must have touched a facial feature. And boom. I, I don't want to. I don't want to call anybody anybody out. But it's just like I get the a lot of people like we were speculating, especially when I was working at the um, at the radio station about how long it would take for things to get back to normal. And the thing is, the pandemic has still not officially been called off. Like we're still technically in the like the final like tail Biden end of the over. of the pandemic like Biden did. I don't even know if Biden knows what day of the week it is. And I know that's like a joke that everyone says, but like. I guess he had three words for us. Pandemic over? Yeah. Something uh, like that? No, made in USA or something. <laughs> for you. But okay, the, the thing I'm just saying is it's just like, um, I, I, I realize this is a wine podcast, but if I could just get on my soapbox a little bit, it's just like the systemic failure that we have that our government has let us down, that people are at a point where they're so thirsty to get back to work that, you know, with what's happening with interest rates, the concern that everyone has about any sort of debt load they have is it's just like, I don't think people are going to be staying home when they're sick. I think people think that masks are a silver bullet and they're not. Masks are effective, but they're not going to prevent that. It's just like, if you're sick, please stay home. Like, stay home if you're sick. Oh, I, well, I woke up. I was like, I did something on Saturday that I haven't done since I was a kid. Watch I cartoons? Sl- I slept till 1230. Oh, because you were sick. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, man. And I slept. till I was surprised. And, and I actually... And then Sunday I felt bad. Well, I think I got the, the, the sore throat on Thursday. Friday was like, uh, Saturday slept like a long time. And Sunday uh, I slept in as well, but not as long. Yeah. And then, you know, Monday I was like, all right, I'm feeling much better. And today, uh, uh, Tuesday, I was like, I'm, I'm better again. But I can't shake that cough. It's just It just wants to cough. So, um, yeah. But I'm feeling great. Like I, I could, are you sure? I could go run a marathon if I actually ran marathons. All right. So let's dive into the topic today. This is something I've actually been thinking about a little bit. Um, you've resurrected the commentary in your newsletter, which is something you actually kind of quietly t- let disappear. Yeah. Well, I you know years ago things happened, and I just kind of uh, I I shut it down quick. Like I mean, I just I used to write all kinds of crazy. You know, crazy. It's no, not crazy. crazy. They, were, was... they were legitimate beefs about the industry, and and I think even you would be the first to admit that without having an editor over your shoulder, and, and we've had Dean Tudor of the Wine Writers yeah. Circle of Canada even review some episodes of this podcast. But I think you would admit that some of your takes may have been a little spicy and off the cuff. Correct, and I, you know, and I, I, you know, when you don't have an editor and you write your own stuff, you just kind of go off uh, on tangerines. 
And, and you're an emotional fellow. I, 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 I was very passionate. I was asked years ago, what, would you like to get into the politics of Ontario wine? And I said no, and, and I think you have to get into the politics of Ontario wine. I, it, it takes a while because I still I remember like about the first five years writing about wine, so 2010 to 2015, um, when you're new to and it's the thing that I actually love about what's happening on Instagram is a lot of the up and coming influencers and and wine bloggers have, are are largely shielded from the politics of when you get deeper down the rabbit hole when you become a person of influence that you're helping these wineries grow their business. It's like you said, it is impossible to avoid the politics once you get deeper down the rabbit hole because you are trying to advocate for these people. When you're a lover of Ontario wine and a journalist, you're looking for stories to tell. And the system in Ontario is not perfect. We cover that on this podcast a little bit. And I think I think we, we bite our tongues a little bit, try to be a little bit more reserved. We try, we try to be a little more reserved. So, so, so the commentaries these, this time, instead of you know uh, pointing fingers and saying this is wrong, that's wrong, uh, they're going to be more anecdotal. What has happened to me? I've been I'm doing this for 20 years. Yeah. And uh, now it's time to, you know, do a little inward uh, looking and saying, you know, this is what happened to me. And I am, I, I believe that, that I am like a cautionary tale, <laughs> uh, you know, for people getting into this industry. But I also believe that if, you know, I believe if the industry had, backed me a little more and i and not the powers that be but the ones that are lower down had backed me a little more i think we would have seen some some incremental change in this industry more than we have well um i guess i'm gonna throw myself under the bus a little bit i have been editing the newsletter so when those come out i'm gonna go under the bus with you if there is anything too controversial i'm happy to do that um but let's also just reflect. Oh, first off, the, the call to action, uh, michaelpickuswinereview.com. Sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Uh, I think that when I was new in my career, I let you know you were one of the people that I actually enjoyed reading. I liked seeing your tags on the shelves of the, of the LCBO, even though I subliminally, unconsciously stole the name of your segment for a hot minute at the beginning of my career in 2010. Well, you know, and, and look, the, the, the reason I got back into even thinking about writing a commentary is I, I as I as I said I I do these wine tours and I am now meeting the the generation that uh, uh, went to Niagara College and, and when I was writing those commentaries and a couple of them have told me that I was essential reading uh, at that time uh, to know what was going on to to make people think. Um, you know, critical thinking, um, and 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 I, I guess you know, a couple of said we, you know, I, I really miss those, and it's like I've been telling you that for years, but also having worked closely with you for the past five six years, like I completely understand the uh, twice bitten one shy. Is that how that expression goes? Once bitten, Once bitten twice, twice shy. shy. Yeah. That's that's yeah. it there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that being said. Because if, if you were twice bitten, then you weren't shy the second time that's either. That's right. Um, that being said, I want to get uh, get off of like the, the newsletter. People Make sure people sub- to subscribe, as I mentioned that. But one of your newsletters that is going to be coming up, so haha. Now, if you're going to be curious about the background of this podcast, you have to subscribe to the newsletter. You were talking about the general health of the Ontario wine industry. And, you know, when I take a look at the landscape, I do think I can reflect on my career as a wine writer going back to 2010 and say that 
in terms of the quality of wine in Ontario, we are in a golden age. Like we just dealt with two thirds of vintages with 29 and 2021. And the good winemakers are making really good wine from those vintages. You know, Craig at Trius is still banging out the Trius Red. And, you know, it's something we've talked about a lot in this podcast, like a 2019 and 2021. Not going to sit in the cellar for, you know, 20, 30 years. But uh, when it hits the shelf of the LCBO, it's ripe. It's well made. It's I think the delicious. 19 has a, has, a, has a better likelihood of aging better than the 2021. I think the 21 that, is, it, but, is like a drink it now. But I mean, I, I would venture to say that a 2021 Trius Red is a hell of a lot better than a 2011 Trius Red or a 2014 Trius Red. Two vintages that were arguably better than 2019 and 2021, but maybe just with, um, um, you know, better winemaking knowledge, better, um, better trained staff you know the Niagara College is pumping out really great graduates okay you've you got like a laugh on your a smile on your face here okay what, what what's on your head I you have a new hairdo okay and I just figured out what it reminds me of okay do, do you know how how like you're the only person who's you spend more time talking about my but hair I, than my wife but I'm like looking at you and and I get I don't know if you just stepped out of the shower today or what but I figured it out and I can't stop I can't get it out of my head. If you okay. had an orange face right now, okay. you'd be an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> okay, you've completely disrupted uh, disrupted my train of thought. Let me bring it. Let me bring it back. I'm just saying that we're in a really great place in Ontario because the quality of wine across the board is consistently getting better, regardless of vintage conditions, while being reflective of vintage conditions that it was in. Let's go back in the wayback machine to 2012. Well, 2012, I, I think everybody got very excited about 2012. No, not, not that vintage in particular. I'm thinking oh. about just like the, the state of the industry in 2012. Like it's in 2012, if we walked into the doors of Creekside or 13th Street or Chateau de Charme, they would have been likely selling 2011s, 2009s, maybe some 2008s, other challenging vintages. But like, once again, I think 2019, 2021, because of the caliber of winemaking in Ontario now would have been better than the 08s and the 09s. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, again, it's going to depend on which wineries you walk Got into. It. And you and you just and you know put it this way, you just mentioned at that time some some pretty exciting wineries that uh probably would have had some very good wines on their shelves, Creekside, 13th Street, Shadow de Charme. Uh, those would have been, you know, top tier wineries at that time. So, you know, tasting their 09s would have been you know, okay. So, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I don't ask short questions. No. And no. all of this was leading me to, to this, because this past week, I've been moving some stuff around in my house as I am uh, anticipating the arrival of my new baby at the end of the year. And I found it's still one of my favorite wine books ever put together in Ontario by Stephen Elphick. I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but um, my slight Stephen Elphick anecdote he's a great photographer for those of you who maybe aren't familiar look up his work he is on instagram doesn't post a whole lot but he lived in midtown toronto and when my apartment caught on fire in 2018 he was one of the first people to text me oh. to say andre like i saw this on the news i saw it on your social media if you need a place to stay come to my studio it's around the corner from your house and oh. I'll, I'll look after you and, and luckily i had family to look after me but i didn't need that that's my Stephen elphick is a decent dude very decent dude story. Um, 
But after editing your newsletters and looking at this book, which is called Spectacular Wineries of Ontario, which was published circa 2012, so likely written over the years 2010, 2011. Yeah, yeah. And photographed at the time. And it actually was really depressing when I flipped through this book. Oh. And this is, this is why I wanted to hand it to you to t- just kind of flip through because I think about the overall health of the Ontario wine industry. It's and this a big is, book. And this is an industry that I am trying to join. I've made no secret about it that with ADX Wine Company, I'm trying to raise us to the point of financial viability where a bank will either give us the money to buy five acres or we can grow to that threshold on our own. But the thing that was depressing is the number of wineries that no longer exist. So it's as a captivating tour of established, comma, estate, comma, and boutique wineries. So... Uh, so I guess I, you, you, am I supposed to just flip through and, and see? Yeah, maybe let's take a look at the index because this is split by region. Prince Edward County is really well. Uh, yeah, there you go. You'll put it right away to, um, uh, I believe this is, um, this this is the, Her- the devastating story, right? Her- Herndor had a fire. I don't know. I, I suspect they're coming back, but I mean, they had a big, huge fire not too long ago. Yeah, that was uh, earlier this year. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, oh, wow, look at that. Press, I kept the, the, the press release. So, all right. So, you want me to go to the index? Yeah. Let's just let's just take a take a quick look quick look here. Look at how young John Zabo wrote the forward. Look at how young he is in that she photo. Is. Okay. Yeah, we're old now. Uh, Vintners Quality Alliance. Here we go. Here all we right, go. So, uh, I, I don't know if I should go through all of them, but I mean, I mean, there's there, there's there's some notable ones that are just missing. I know I know the first one when I flipped through this that was heartbreaking for me was Cattail Creek. Cattail Creek is gone. Yeah, between and, the lines, um, it's still there, thriving actually. Yep. Uh, Cattail Creek gone. The uh, the vineyards not. They're still grape growing. I, under, I understand, but I, I, okay, you know, let's just, let's just keep going through the list, and then I, I want to riff on sort of the point that I'm that. So Colinari is is still there. Yeah. Kind of uh, kind of in an unfinished state, but uh, yeah. There's another one where it was a uh, it was a fire that. Well, I think the fire was on on some outlying buildings, but didn't really have an impact. Uh, Diamond Estates is is now Lakeview. Yeah, but also like that's a winery that sort of never really landed on its feet in terms of quality and market placement. If we're being honest, so uh, Hinterbrook is is actually still called Hinterbrook, but it's Nomad at Hinterbrook. So barely called Hinterbrook. No, they still have Hinterbrook okay. written on their label. Okay, we don't in, need to go through the, the whole thing. Like, just... Jackson Triggs, Palatine Hills, all still there. Pondview still there. Pondview no longer Pondview now Bellaterra. You know what? That's a name change, and that's one of those ones that I really don't understand. Okay, why you spent ten years building up the name Pondview and then going ah now we're Bellaterra. Okay, let's keep going down the list. Never understood that. Uh, so Rife, yeah, still there. Rhymer, I know Rhymer is is. I never there. even heard They're of Rhymer. Side Street. I passed by the sign. Yeah, I think that's something we might need to check out. So, uh, Southbrook, obviously, Stratus, Strune, 30 Bench, Trius. Um, I don't know how 30 Bench winemakers ends up in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Yeah, so I that know. Was, they're, that was they're, a little wrong. They're Bench, right? They are Bench, for sure. Uh, Vignoble Rancourt. Yep, uh, now no now longer existing. So, there's, there's, two, there's two that... Or sorry, one that no longer exists, and a few that have changed names or changed ownership over there. So... Uh, anyways, let, let, we, let's continue. Like just real quick. So onto the escarpment, Thirteenth Street obviously has moved. Uh, I don't know if it was. Uh, they were probably moved by this this time anyway. I think so. Albento, I believe they're still kicking around. Are they? Yeah, okay. Albento is still around. Yeah, uh, Calamus changed ownership. Crown Bench is uh, is gone. Yeah, Crown Bench is I gone. I think is gone for sure. Uh, Flat Rock, yeah, Foreign Affairs still there, but Herder. sold to corporate interests now. Correct. Herndor, uh, Cassaba. 
Claude Jordan gone and really? then came back. So so it was there, disappeared but, and came back in in the time of this book. But very interesting that he would include that as a winery because they never had a piece. Like, they've had property, but they've never had a winery. I know to go to. So can, can you imagine? Can, that, you, you can Google it, and there isn't a lot of photos of it. But if you Google Frank Gehry, Le Claude Jordan, there are a couple of photos on Google, and what the future of Niagara could have been to have that. Like, it was a gorgeous looking winery. I know that they. Had it would have been it. over the top. Like it, it, it would would have definitely been like an Opus One sort of like destination. I, and if to, for anyone who hasn't been to Napa Valley, just Google Opus One if you want to see what an over the top facility looks like. And uh, yeah, so uh, you know, it, it. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's dead as a doornail as far as the, you know them actually getting a building. Yeah, I believe there's still room on the land. Oh, hundred percent to happen, but. Sadly, it didn't. Megalomaniac is definitely there, bigger than ever. Uh, Mike Weir, now gone. they're gone. Yep, he's definitely gone. They've become a Locust Lane. Yep, uh, Potacom Estates uh, still there. Um, they were kicked out of the VQA for a while uh, for something they did, uh, but I believe they're still there, still making wine. I know a couple of years ago, she uh, I got an email from them uh, putting some rosé into the rose the rosé report. report. Okay. So yeah, Royal de Maria, uh, one of those wineries that you know I'm like I scratch my head about that one. I never know whether they're still there or not. Okay. Uh, Stony Ridge uh, is recently now sold. Recently sold. Sue Ann Staff, she's obviously there. Yes. Taws is still there. Vineland's still there. Okay. Um. Yeah. There's uh uh what else do we have here? Prince Edward H- County. Hillier Creek, Huff, uh Carlo, Lacey, Rose Hall, Sandbanks, Grange. Yeah, they're all still there. Cooper's Hawk, Holio, Peely Island, Viewpoint, yeah. Emerging at this time. Coffin Ridge, still there, Georgian Hills, Magna uh Magnata under emerging regions. I find that very strange. Um you know, they've never had really a piece of property. They do have that G Marquis Vineyard down on uh, Highway 55 in Niagara and the Lake, but they've never really had a, a property proper in in uh, uh, Niagara. I know yeah. they have one on, uh, I think it's Ontario Street, but yeah. there's no vineyard attached. They to have it. a vineyard on Niagara Stone Road for G Marquis, right? They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the, so that's, that's the what G you were Marquis. just mentioning. Yeah. But they don't have. Uh, they're 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 one of those wineries that I think are pre '93 didn't have piece of property. Um, so very interesting. Willow Springs, don't know. I've been to Willow Springs. Um, Recently? No. Oh, uh, years over ago. 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I liked Willow Springs at one point. And then we have Off the Vine, which is, uh, you know, the wine establishment, wine awakenings. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's wineries listed no. there. But it was more just like just like looking at this, this list and realizing that the, um, I mean, I'm I'm certain that we don't really want to see like an explosion of wineries developing. Like it is a tough market to get into, and and finding shelf space is very competitive. But it's just like, do you feel like the Ontario wine industry is is growing at a healthy healthy rate? I don't. I I'll be honest. I don't think. I don't think we're growing. I think we're we're we're, we're kind of stagnating. We're stagnant in the way that. You know, no new wineries, but uh, I know that we can't make new land, right? And I remember talking to the, to Don Zeraldo one day, and he was hopping mad that uh, uh, the the new St. Catherine's Hospital was being built. And he thought that was a prime 
uh, agricultural land that they were taking over. And that is exactly what's happening. And if you drive down Four Mile Creek uh, out of Niagara Falls into uh, into uh, Niagara on the lake, it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. You hit York Road and you you continue down. Uh, and you can see, you know, buildings and the old Del Monte plant, and you see the, F, you know, the chocolate effects that's on the right hand side, and you know, Grist is 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 up a little bit further, but uh, which is a great brewery, by the way, if you ever get a chance to go. Uh, but if you continue down uh, Four Mile Creek, there's like a complete delineation of where housing stops, totally, and and agricultural land starts, and. And it's sad because it's like those houses seem to be getting deeper and deeper into the agricultural land. I, I don't, I don't think we grow as an industry, you know. And, and as and as as years like twenty twenty one happen, uh, you know, we're down forty to sixty percent in some vineyards. You know, why would somebody want to continue to grow grapes? Why not, you know, sell it off to a developer? Um, and and it's and it's kind of sad. Um, oh, so- you want to see something something sad here? Uh, the, that 1983 planting that Irv Wilms had right in uh, the Four Mile Creek subappellation, uh, the Chardonnay that I worked with in 2020, that Thomas has worked with for many more years, Thomas Batchelder. Uh, this was a photo that I took um, took of this vineyard. That's there's nothing there. It is a completely dead vineyard, like. I mean, it's been a fascinating year to talk to people who are relatively new to the business, like Joe and Susan at 16 Mile and Vittorio Di Stefano at uh, On 7. I visited both their vineyards that are yielding not a single cluster of grapes this year, but the vines look healthy. They are both hopeful that for 2023, they will get a crop, barring any garbage weather this winter. But there is an optimism with a lot of the growers that there's... There's nothing at that one site in Niagara on the Lake. So yeah, you talk about like the challenges that come with the agricultural side of this. It's just like, yeah, why would anyone get involved in this? And why wouldn't you sell to a developer? You know, a guy's going to come and say, you know, I'll give you X number of dollars per acre, and I'm going to put houses on it. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, why am I, you know, blowing my brains out and watching my grapes die and 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 claiming insurance every year uh, when I, you know, could go live in Mexico. Um, you know, on a, with with a healthy you know sum of money in my pocket, you know this is not an industry for the faint of heart. It it really isn't, and I and I and I applaud you for wanting to get five acres and wanting to start a winery and 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 you know every time I see one uh you know come up for sale, I think well maybe Andre will get that one, and then I'm like <laughs> I don't know why he would want to. I yeah, really well, but I mean that's it though. Is you take a look at the people who are getting into the game. There are so. You wineries that really bootstrapped it, right? Like the the people who come to mind front of mind for me are Andrew and Christina Brooks of Back Ten Sellers, who have done a, an amazing job building their brand, but also had to side hustle it while Back Ten was getting off the ground. They ground they ran the the wine touring business where, um, like I know they have an insanely great business acumen out of the two of them. On top of the fact that they make quality wine, um, and then. Ilya and Nadia Senchuk from Leaning Post, who, once again, really good business acumen. Uh, apart from the fact that if anyone's had a chance to meet Nadia, or anyone who's listened to this podcast has not met Nadia, or Ilya, for that matter, Nadia's just got a bigger personality. Sorry, Ilya. Um, I mean, it's hard to not want to just root for these people. 
on top of the fact that the quality of the wines is right at the top of the game in Ontario. But other than that, it's a lot of people who walked into the game with deep pockets, who made their money on Bay Street, who made their money Correct. as the, executives the, in other businesses. And I'm, I don't know, this. I might just be a millennial whinging that um, like, I just want to be a farmer. Like that's, that's what my life goal is right now. So get those five acres, be a farmer and make this my full-time job. But I don't think the price of entry to being a farmer should have to be being a multimillionaire or being a millionaire to set foot in the game, which leads me to my next question. Why is it so hard and why is it so difficult to make money in this business? Well, obviously, uh, you know, any winery will tell you that, you know, the, the, uh, the obstacles are what the government shoves in front of them. Uh, you know, we, it's it's not a free market system. It's it's you know tax upon tax upon tax. It's uh, you know there's just there's just so much that that stands in front of them. I, I again I don't know why anybody would want to get into the wine business in Ontario. I really don't. It 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 blows my mind. And I you know hats I tip my hat and here's a shoe and you know blah blah blah. But I, I have watched this industry for 20 plus years and I, and the more I learn, the more I think there is no way that I would sink dollar one into a vineyard. Why not? Why? Like, like, okay, okay. You, you, you kind of, um, you kind of highlighted like really top level the reasons and those are very good reasons to not want to get involved in the business. But I mean, what are like, let's just say like the top two reasons that you hear from most people where you're just like, nope, I'm out, not going to happen, not going to do this. Well, I you put it this way. Once somebody's gone from the the business, you very rarely hear about them. I miss uh, Coyote's run. I miss Coyote's run too. Uh, and I by the way, Jeff I, Aubrey does pop up once in a while. Once in a while, he'll show up. He'll like, you get a little quick hello from him. And he seems happier than a than a clam now that he's out. Like he's happier than when he was in. Yeah, I, I still remember. I still remember. Like I loved talking to um, to Jeff just because he was such a. Um, he was one of the first people that really kind of laid out the real challenges to me in in black and white. Didn't sugarcoat it, but it was like a similar situation to you know, a, a leaning post or a back 10 sellers. He really did present himself as the little guy and the quality of his wines were good. Yeah. He had a, he had a great winemaker in Dave Shepard. Yes. Um, you know, he had a, a prime piece of real estate and, and by the way, that vineyard, uh, uh, which was, uh, it is looked after by Niagara college is, is another dead vineyard at the moment. Oh, wow. So that's, that's completely gone too. So, you know, there's, there's so many, it's, it, you know, you get prime piece of real estate. You think you're doing, you know, great work. And just like uh, the Wilms, just like uh, the Curry Run. Well, I know Daniel like- Lenko. Daniel Lenko is another one as well where, like, I remember getting into this business in 2010, like, as a, as a journalist, he was someone who was a name that was up and coming. I remember his Chardon Gay on the shelf of the LCBO. Yeah, and, you tried to make a splash with that. But he I mean, but he did a great job. But the quality of the wine was solid for what it was. It was something, especially when you take a look at, if he was around still making wine today, the number of like bottomless mimosas that take place in the, the village in Toronto on any given Sunday, if he... If he took that Chardonnay and put it in a Charmat tank, uh, I'm sure he would be the king, 
the king of, of Church Street, right? I, I think I think Daniel's just as happy not to be. Hundred percent. Well, I, I I spoke with him about renting his facility or part of his facility when I was trying to get ADX up and running, and he spent forty minutes on the phone talking me out of trying to talk me out of it. Correct. You yeah. Know, there's so many people that talk you out of 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 being in the wine business, and I don't know. I I again, my hat goes off to these people who 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 were putting putting their money in. Um, you know, even if you have deep pockets, you're going to end up with less deep pockets in the wine business. It's just, it's just, that's how it's, it's going to be. And so how can we turn this? Okay. So how can we turn this conversation around? Because I think, I think, well, I, I think you're, you're right. We've got, we've got, we've got two theses that are sorry. We, yeah. Two theses that we've sort of stumbled on here. One, people who work in the wine business are crazy. And that's something yeah. I've said on this before. But and- I, I think your original thesis was this. The, 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 and, and then somehow we got down the rabbit hole of of lamenting, you know, long begotten wineries. Yeah, that was what like, I really. That was more like I actually didn't know the direction this conversation was going to take. It's just when I looked at this book because you you and I had a conversation off the air that I shut down pretty quick because I thought I'd make a good podcast about the number of new wineries versus old wineries. But the 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 thing that I think we were trying to say is that the quality of the wine. That's coming out of Ontario, you know, in spite of yeah, 2019, in spite of 2021, in you know, and then then you sprinkle in a 2020 in there, you sprinkle in a year like oh, 2022 is turning challenging. By the way, 2022 now we we got a lot of rain coming. Although it's not as bad as last year. Although though. you know, n- next week I I looked at the at the forecast and it looks like we're 19 again. So anything that's still going to be hanging in late October is still going to see some sunshine as long as it's not you know broken down and 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 disease ridden. But supposedly the quality out there uh, this year is good, although. Uh, it, there's there's lesser of it, so the 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 quality of the wines coming out of Ontario are definitely at a higher level, and that's I think the real takeaway from this is that you know throughout the struggles, throughout the terrible vintages, throughout the throughout everything, you know we still have wineries and winemakers out there who put in the work put good wine in the bottle and, you know, continue on with an industry that I I would not fault anybody for throwing in the towel and saying, I'm out of here. And yet they continue to do it. So hats off to them. Keep going, guys. You know, keep giving us great wine and and we'll, you know, keep loving it and trying it and, 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 you know, hoping for good weather. Okay, let me, let me end this on a high note, but I'm going to start low. I do think the biggest problem for growth of wineries in Ontario is the lack of a good partner. And this one where I'm very careful with how I speak about it because people like Dave and Louise and Ed Madronic and um, I think that's a pretty short list have found a way to make a really good go at it with their partnership with the LCBO. But if you walk into an LCBO, you don't see the wineries that people like you and I are buzzing about on the shelves of the LCBO. And there's a reason for that. And it's because there is no retail channel that exists in Ontario that doesn't stick their hands deep in the pockets of Ontario. Most most really great wineries, people like Derek Barnett, uh, and, and, and God bless Thomas Batchelder, who does send some wines through the LCBO, which I think is to just make sure that 
people know that his brand there's, exists. There's, there's no incentive to the, the LCBO does not give you the greatest incentive. No, there's no incentive to do business with the LCBO. I mean, um, this is where I'm going to switch it to a high note. I am really happy with the existence of bottle shops. And the thing is, as a business owner, I choose very carefully who it is I'm selling my bottles to. And when I do a tasting with someone, um, Tage at Endless Bottle Shop up the street in uh, Hamilton here at Ottawa Canada, I'm going to give a shout out to that bottle shop because he's got a really interesting list. And he also has given me some really good advice on pricing on what's going to sell in Hamilton and what isn't. So... If, if you're a local small winery and you want to hit Tej up, he really loves Ontario wine as long as your bottle will come in at less than $36 on his shelf after retail. So if you have like a $27 or $25 licensee price, I'm sure he'd be happy to taste it. Tej, if you listen to this and you get a lot of emails, I'm sorry. Um, but like this whole bottle shop culture is like I can see it on Tej's face and on his staff's face when i walk into that shop they're excited to talk to me about my wine i know they're gonna sell it there are really great product consultants at the lcb but they have so much product to move if i decide to sell 300 cases of when pigs fly to the lcbo how do i know that the product consultant in sudbury or the product consultant in orleans or the product consultant in kingston's going to give two craps about my product and then if they discount it I, that affects my bottom line as well. The LCBO can just do that. And they get a chance to taste it. That's the other part. That's it. So um, I said I was going to end this on a high note, and that was, like a, a, I think, a very fair criticism of how the LCBO does business and treats Ontario wineries and just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I'm really excited, and I really... Oh, here's, okay, here's the problem is the people who are shopping at bottle shops are already the people who are listening to this podcast. So I'm giving homework to everybody listening to this podcast, especially this holiday season when people are more inclined to spend a little bit more money. Take a friend with you to a bottle shop and encourage them to spend money on a bottle because they're not just going to support local wineries. And there's a lot of really great Ontario wineries that exist in bottle shops and not the LCBO. But you're supporting small agents as well who are very passionate about what they bring in as well because that's generally what ends up on the shelves of the LCBO are Bottles that are not big enough to end up at the shelf of the LCBO. So ending it on a really optimistic note, I think 10 years from now, we'll see the culture shift where people are. And as business owners begin to evolve that bottle shop experience, I think we'll see more and more of people starting to think of bottle shops as a place to buy a bottle of wine. Your lips to God's ears. Let's see what happens. 10 years from now, though, maybe 20. Let's see. Maybe twenty. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a long time. Culture evolves in this province slowly. Like, look at how long it's taken to get wine into grocery stores, and even then, they've still mucked that up. That it's all just stuff through the LCBO. It really is. It, it, I look at that every time, and, and nothing excites me in the in those. Shows. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. Nothing gets my juices flowing. That's right. All right. Um. Let's end it. So that was something. Wow that uh, that took a turn. Thanks for thanks for bringing out the book. Yeah, that was. Um, I'm I'm really happy I found that book. Like, it's a really beautiful book. It's a nice book. It's also, I mean, that's another thing. What Bench is doing in Niagara and the Lake, I have no idea. We, we, we want to talk about, like, the, it's just like a final point. We want to talk about the state of writing. It's like, when's the last time we've had a really great book written about Ontario wines? Like, I, I also just packed it up away. Conrad Edgebick's Pocket Guide to Ontario Wineries and Vineyards, which is like, that's still an amazing reference book still to see who's still book. in the in- industry and whatever. It's just like, man, wine writing is in a weird place these days. It is. 
I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca at AndreWineReview on social media, patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. Support us, but also support your local bottle shops. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Uh, find me on social media as The Grape Guy or as Michael Pincus. And as always, I like to say, what is it again? Oh, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.